umgoblue.com by fans for fans since 1999. Hello, welcome to this edition of the umgoblue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with Clint Derringer. And we're going to talk about Michigan's 20 to 13 victory over Rutgers, the Big 10 opener. Well, Clint, what did you think about that one? Well, definitely too close for comfort, especially compared to where, you know, where we felt uh, as the second quarter was coming to a close. Um, but uh, a win's a win, and I can certainly uh, see where Harbaugh's coming from when he says stuff like, uh, you know, there's no space for pretty on the scoreboard. I understand that, but uh, it was definitely uh, eyebrow-raising and uh, really highlighted some some gaps that need to get closed um, if Michigan's going to continue having success through the Big Ten season. I was really proud of them. Uh, found a way. And um, you know, defense, you know, I, thought they, I thought they really competed you know, right, to the, right to the fumble. And um, you know, thank goodness for red, red zone defense. Put a lot of time into it. Uh, practiced a lot. And, and uh, you know, put, the defense was in a bad position. You know, uh, offensively, we weren't uh, moving the ball, three and outs, four straight drives, and start the second half. I, you know, show the character of the uh, of the defense. I'm really, really proud and, and pleased with that, um, and that they found a way, got it done. Greedy game, uh, and yeah, it wasn't pretty, but. You know, when they when they start when they when they start making a space for pretty on the on the scoreboard, then we'll we'll worry about that. Yeah, right now, that doesn't doesn't go up on the scoreboard. So yeah, I'm proud of the guys. I think you know it's interesting that you mentioned um, how we were feeling right before halftime because I think more than any game uh, this year, this was really almost two games in one. Right, there was a way the team played in the first half, and then it was a complete flip in the second half. And and I'll tell you, Clint, we were talking um, as we were watching this game, and I genuinely felt as Michigan went into halftime that um, you you and I were debating whether they should go for the field goal or for the touchdown. I really felt heading into the second half that Michigan was a touchdown away from ending this game, right? It was 20 to 3 and just the whole tenor of the game, the the vibe of the game, I really felt Michigan was in control and it seemed like that they had picked up and um picked up from last game and and everything was rolling, right? Especially with that that amazing first drive where they just crammed the ball down the throat of the Rutgers defense. And then, um, you know, they say that football is is a game of adjustments. Well, Rutgers made some adjustments at halftime, and the whole game seemed to flip on its head. And as you said, uh, a victory is a victory. I'd much rather be talking about a somewhat disappointing disappointing win rather than, uh, you know, a a close loss. But, boy, this definitely gave us a lot to consider heading uh, after viewing the second half. Yeah, another another big reason. I think the two uh, functional things that happened that kind of pivoted this game all came 
in the closing minutes of the second quarter. You know, there was, um, number one, I think Josh Ross's injury uh, happened somewhere with uh, like three minutes, three minutes and change. There was a, uh, he stopped a run uh, in the middle and there was a, you know, pretty big collision, but he also kind of stayed bent in an awkward position and it was his last snap. And I would say that that, that is probably the moment that, uh, that he was uh, ruled out. <clears throat> and, and the remainder of the game, um, really, Rutgers' whole offensive scheme was about uh, attacking the the linebackers and making them um, the read players for for Noah Vedral on his read options. So they really put the uh, inexperienced uh, linebackers in uh, in a position where you know no matter what they chose, they they were wrong, and you could see that that made them a little bit tentative because no matter what decision they made, um, you know, Vedra was going the other way with the ball. So uh, those guys um, ended up making the big plays when it mattered, and they definitely made some key plays to stop points, you know, kind of a bend but don't break mentality. So that, that, was, that was good for them. But they've got a lot of films to watch and learn from um, to make sure that we, we shore up the linebacker depth. The other thing that happened – right before halftime that I think kind of flipped um, the direction of this game is, is um, right after Rutgers went forward on fourth and 10 toward the end of the half and didn't get it. Um, there was a pass, uh, a long pass on, on a RPO, beautiful throw by Cade McNamara and they ran it down just inside the 15 yard line. And there was a late hit on top of it. And I still haven't seen the replay of that hit, um, but they're, but their player who, who hit McNamara was ejected for targeting, right? So it's tough to tell how much that hit uh, affected McNamara um, physically and, and, and maybe, you know, kind of from a, a confidence standpoint or from, um, you know, just a comfort standpoint. You know, hits on the quarterback are obviously a, a legitimate uh, um, shaking, you know, that that's why the defense focuses on getting pressure to the quarterback and counting hits on the quarterback, even if they're not sacks. And I think that was a big one. And, and McNamara was sharp up to that point and was not sharp after that. So the game kind of flips, like I said, uh, right in that moment when those two things happen, we go into halftime, defense plays okay coming out of halftime, forces a punt, Henning returns it to – the Rutgers 39 yard line. And then the offense um, just can't get anything going. Uh, now that Rutgers has made their adjustments and they're, they're going to sell out for the run and, and McNamara is, is just off by a hair a little bit and um, his receivers can't really bail him out. So uh, it was the opposite of complimentary football. I would say from that point forward that everything was, everything was hurting one another as opposed to the first three and a half games. Uh, Michigan was playing very good complimentary football where, where the defense would get, get off the field quick. Your offense was wearing down the other team. And from that end to closing moments of the second quarter, that's what happened to Michigan. It, it, they were, they were on their back. They're on the back foot, so to speak, kind of on their heels and uh, kind of had to just hold on and, and get through that one. So it's interesting because, I was commenting, watching the first half, I, I was wondering when this team was going to face adversity. And not just adversity, but unexpected adversity. 
right? You can project out and say, well, if you're going on the road, you're going to have adversity because this team over the last several years has struggled on the road. And if you're going to play Ohio State, you're going to anticipate adversity. But this game really, you you didn't expect, I, I don't think that you could have expected adversity after watching the first half, right? It seemed like that Michigan was, um, you know, catching gear and hopefully they were going to be able to separate and score some more points and kind of pull away in the second half. And that's not what happened. Like you said, there was uh, that hit on Cade. Um, there was the um, loss on defense. So, uh, so again, you look at it and you say, you know, those two things express themselves very dramatically in the second half. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, I think, angst among the fan base. Um, there are a lot of people calling for, you know, the, the easy thing of, hey, it's time to put JJ in, um, which is, you know, the most popular person among the fan base is the, the next string quarterback whenever the offense is struggling. But I think it was really interesting to see both the offense and the defense kind of uh, pull together and, 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 um, and, and not lose the game, right? Because, again, the critical thing is to win the football game. But there was enough drama in that second half and enough concern. You know, I always like to say when I'm describing watching a football game, it's, it's like you're driving a car and you have, you know, are the warning lights on, right? There were definitely some warning lights all over the, the dashboard in that second half that I, did, I wouldn't have expected to see after the first half. Yeah, I think we dealt the pressure uh, really well. Like, like uh, everyone keeps saying, uh, we bowed up when we needed to bow up. Um, I think uh, we kept a really positive attitude uh, throughout the whole game, uh, through all the ups and downs. Um, so I really like that about this defense and this team um, this year, and, and we just got to keep that rolling because you know every game is not going to be sunshines and rainbows. Um, we just got to we just got to stay stout uh, in the tough times. Yeah, and and I think the the coaching staff could have helped out a little bit, also. I mean, I, first of all. Um, if we go to the start of the third quarter, like I said, the defense hold Rutgers on, you know, after kicking off to start the second half, you get Rutgers to, to punt. Henning returns it all the way into Rutgers territory, and you've really got an opportunity there to kind of, uh, you know, step on their throat and, and end the game and kind of take the life out of them right at that point. And, um, you know, they go, you know, they get, they get nine yards. They're faced with a fourth and one, and they choose to try to draw – uh, Rutgers offsides and uh, take the delay a game penalty and then punt, you know, and that's a, it's, it's one of the metrics that we track, right? It's points um, per scoring opportunity when you get a, a first down inside of your opponent's 40 yard line. So the fact that they started that inside the 40 yard line and end up punting, you know, with uh, the, I think that was the snap infraction on the center that, that hurt that drive also. Um, that's, you know, that's, that's a killer. And, and on that fourth and one, for me, I would have liked to see, uh, you know, a play call where you actually go out there and, and run it and pick that up. But you can see where, where the play callers get a little bit tentative because they had the ball, I believe, third and one just before that. And, and Hassan Haslam's got stuffed for no gain, maybe a small loss. So I think at that point they knew that, uh, 
you know, that their hand was tipped, that uh, that they weren't sharp in the passing game at that exact moment, and uh, and weren't comfortable spreading the ball out and running it there. And uh, they decided to punt, and they did pin Rutgers back at about the nine yard line, but still, um, Rutgers, you know, drove the ball that next uh, that next drive score make it 20 to 10 and start wearing down your defense and that's when they found um you know they found their their point of attack there on that next drive and then after that the offense could not string together enough positive plays to give the defense a break and that's when like i said michigan was kind of just holding on waiting for the end of the fight and waiting to get saved by the bell because they were uh you know they they were they were under fire. They were they were taking taking a barrage at that point. So it's interesting because we've commented several times this season that the Michigan offensive line has been very successful at times. They've been able to move the line of scrimmage, and yet there's also been several times where they've had they've had an opportunity at um, short and goal or in this case, third and one and fourth and one. And the coaching staff did not have the confidence that they could get it. They could get a single yard. And it's, again, um, it's concerning. It's, you know, I wouldn't say this is a red light, but it's definitely a warning light of, you know, again, you need to be able to, um, you know, impose your will on an opponent to get a yard, especially if you have two cracks, right? And like you said, they had the short and, you know, weren't able to complete and then, you know, went to the, hey, let's draw them draw off sides and, and, you know, that, that didn't work. So, um, you know, it's it's interesting because, you know, you and I were, were commenting at the end of the, you know, the, the play calling on both sides at the end of the second quarter, right? Where... Um, Rutgers went for the fourth and ten, and you know trying to make something happen, and uh, ended up you know not converting, and then Michigan went right down the field, and was really gonna gonna make that hurt right, and you know it's interesting because I feel like if Michigan sticks it in and, and scores the touchdown there, that just completely deflates Rutgers, and, and maybe you end the game there. Now, the smart move is to kick a field goal, right? And with the time on the clock, it would have been dicey. You don't want to uh, put your team in a position where the clock runs out and you don't get any points. But I think this is something that I've questioned about about Harbaugh his entire tenure here, right? When he came in, I believe my perception of his reputation is that he was more of a gunslinger and he would take opportunities. He would take chances to, um, you know, stick the nail in. Right. And there's been times where I would have liked to have seen him be more aggressive. And, you know, I didn't, I wasn't surprised what he did at the end of that second quarter, um, you know, kicking the field goal, but, you know, you know, I know you were a a proponent of trying to score and, I thought about it after. I'm like, why was I arguing against that, right? And it dawned on me. I wasn't arguing against it. I just didn't expect Harbaugh to do anything different. And I think that it's kind of been a recalibration of my expectations of watching him over over his tenure here at Michigan as head coach that 
I really didn't expect it. And um, I, I, I would like to see that guy, right? I'd like to see the more aggressive. Um, I could live with the aggression and a possible failure. Um, and again, it's just something that, that, you know, I've noticed and I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that. Yeah. As I, as I said in the, in the press box at the time and, and have only kind of strengthened my opinion on this is that they, they absolutely. So again, let's reset the scene here. Uh, Rutgers gets stopped on fourth and 10 Michigan, I think has 22 seconds with the ball, you know, right around midfield. Uh, McNamara makes a beautiful throw. I think it was, uh, I think it was Sam still over the middle that he hits and Sam still runs it down inside the 15 McNamara gets hit and, and targeted and, uh, that guy gets ejected, right? So that's, that's where we're at. You get down there, you run the ball, um, you run a few plays and they got down first and goal from the two with, uh, you know, right around. I think 11 or 12 seconds left and you had two timeouts at that point. So now, all right, you, you've got three cracks at it cause you've got two timeouts in, in my mind, you pound the ball two times, call timeout after both of them. And then on third down, you can throw the ball. If it's incomplete, then kick the field goal on fourth down. Maybe, right. Uh, you still have an argument there, whether you're going to acquiesce and take the points on fourth down. Um, I still would probably be the advocate of going for it on fourth down, even though you know it's the last play of the half. But the way that they did it, they left themselves five seconds on the clock on third down, and Harbaugh wasn't comfortable calling a play to make sure that they could ensure that they were going to get the field goal attempt, right? And, and like you said, I think it was kind of baked in to his mind at that point that no matter what, he was going to get points there. He wasn't willing to risk the the sure three points to try to get the touchdown and really maybe the backbreaker there now um when it all comes down to it i think the second down play was the pass where uh mcnamara missed a screwmaker uh in the back of the end zone when i was re-watching it i saw something that i hadn't seen before schoonmaker kind of slips as he's getting out into his route so that probably changed you know messed up the timing and the, the positioning a little bit eric all was also you know pretty open on that mcnamara could have hit him also but um a lot of things going on none of it went well from that point forward and uh i think michigan did show uh some some fortitude in keeping it together because they were you know they were down to their third and fourth linebackers by the end of the game because I, I didn't see nikai hill green out there in the fourth quarter so you were down Josh Ross, you were down Nikai Hill Green. Uh, Rutgers had committed multiple, you know, guys on every snap to slowing down Aiden Hutchinson. And, uh, you know, they were content with just kind of marching down and wearing down the, the interior of that defense as they read those linebackers. So they, they really dug their heels in when uh, you got close to their own goal line and made the stops that were necessary. And there's, there's value in that. And like I said, in my recap article, I think the main point for the team and for the program is that now on film, you know, you've put out into the ether where some of your gaps are, right? Wisconsin is going to take that film and attack you in, in very similar ways if they can. So what Michigan has to do is go back and get better this week. This is probably the most important week of practice. Um, 
to this point in the season. Obviously, it's the only week, week of practice that matters that you can do anything about. But this week's preparation and the, the pressure that's on these players and this coaching staff going into Madison is, is really, really gigantic. So they really need to really need to commit themselves to correcting the mistakes that we saw uh, up front on offense, um, reads and, and attacking at the linebacker level on defense. And uh, we need some a couple more playmakers up front on the D line to be able to step up and make individual plays like what uh, David Ojabo did on the last defensive snap. You know, that was a three man rush and he makes a spin move and, and strips Noah Vedrill to really put the game on ice. So, that's that's exactly what that defense needed in that moment, and, and hopefully they can seize on that and, and build. So, I think that okay, they got the win, right? And we can all agree that's what they needed to do. I think that heading into Wisconsin, they're at a very pivotal point in national perception, in that. You know, we've been talking about that traditionally in most seasons, right, Michigan would come out highly ranked. They'd get the benefit of the doubt. And in this season, some of that magic has wore away, right, in that, you know, Michigan was 3-0 and and, and was ranked, but pretty, low, pretty lowly ranked, right? I feel like that this game was an opportunity to kind of reestablish Michigan, uh, reestablish the the dominance, the perception, right? And unfortunately, what we saw in the second half was I can understand that there are um, people in the national media and, and, you know, among college football fan base saying, oh, this is same old Michigan, right? And I mean, same old Michigan in the bad way, that this is Michigan just – you know, yeah, they were looking good. They looked like they reestablished the run, but in the second half, they couldn't get it done against Rutgers, right? And yes, they got the win, but they had the chance to knock them out. And looking at the struggles that Wisconsin has had this season, I think that Michigan has not only shown enough potential defects on tape, but they've shown they're vulnerable. And I think Wisconsin would like nothing better to get back on track and, and you know, put a thumping on Michigan and, and win, you know, at home. So I, I think that as much as the players and the team are saying all the right things about that they bowed up and that they, that they have confidence in the offense and we just, you know, the defense was very complimentary talking about, you know, we knew the offense would get it done. We had to bail them out. We're, you know, we're a team. I think that it is really important for the psyche of, of the team to come back on the road and snap back strong against Wisconsin. Because, um, you know, the team was saying all the right things last year and Michigan State happened, right? And that just accelerated the slide into a horrible season. And I think that as much as the team is saying the right things, that specter has to be in the back of their minds of what happened last year. And I think it's really important to come back and and snap back strong against Wisconsin and, and kind of um, 
grab the swagger back because heading into this game, Michigan had its swagger. In the second, in the first half, they had their swagger. In the second half, um, you know, I like the analogy that you you used of a prize fight. Um, you know, they had the chance to knock them out in the first half, early in the second half, and um, Rutgers came back and and was giving them all they could all they could take. And this was Michigan won on points. This was not a knockout. Michigan needed to you know. Um, let the time run out and 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 be satisfied that they had um, uh, endured the onslaught, the comeback, right? And I think if you know, as I was rewatching the tape, I was thinking back on what if I was Rutgers, what I would have done differently. And you know, came back to that fourth and ten, wondering if uh, you know if you take those if if you just go to the half and you don't give Michigan a chance to put three points on the board um, you know it, it it resets the stage for the second half and you know you you pull the score even closer right so again just um, a lot of what ifs but definitely glad to see that Michigan pulled this one out but definitely gave me a lot of things to be concerned about yeah, and one one last thing on that fourth and ten, the real the final kicker is when I rewatched it is that the pla- the pass that they threw uh, was broken up, uh, pretty good coverage. I think it was um, I think it was Vincent Gray in coverage, um, but even if the guy catches the ball and they make the tackle right there, he's two yards short of the sticks. And there was no <laughs> there was no Rutgers player that ran a route to the sticks, you know. So even on that fourth and ten. They their deepest receiver went eight yards down the field and would have been tackled right on the right on the spot. So just a absolutely not only what I thought was a bad decision to go for it instead of just punting and, and forcing Harbaugh to take a knee for to end the half, but also a really really bad play call there by Rutgers to try to uh, to try to actually pick up that fourth and ten. So as as questionable as there were some decisions on Michigan side Rutgers was was just as bad if not worse and uh, that definitely made definitely played a factor in, in how the game ended up you know I I do believe after rewatching, I I'm not as concerned about Cade McNamara specifically I think that um his throws uh, before let, let's just use that uh, targeting call as kind of a before and after moment you know, before that targeting call, he uh, he was really sharp, right? The ball was was really really uh, quick out of his hands, and he was very accurate hitting guys in stride um, on those longer plays. And after that, he wasn't hitting them as perfectly, that's for sure. But there was, you know, his next one for six, right? Those five passes that weren't complete, um, there were at least two of them that I think uh, probably could have been caught. Now, they were not perfect throws by any means, but I think if those guys make those plays also, um, then then it's a different conversation because Michigan just needed a couple first downs in that third quarter to uh, to kind of balance out um, the time of possession, give the, give the defense a breather, give the defense some time to – make some of the adjustments and, and, and teach those freshman linebackers what you know, what they were reading, what was happening out there. And the offense just, just couldn't get it done. And, and I heard a lot of complaining about the, the run game selection, right? Why didn't we see more on the edge? I think that's a legitimate concern or a question about why 
why we continued uh, on some of those um, gap blocking schemes on the inside. When Rutgers packed in the box, I would have really liked to see more uh, run game targeting the edge, whether it was Blake Corum on the outside zone plays or anything on the end of rounds with A.J. Henning and Roman Wilson. I think that's a legitimate concern. I Perhaps they were keeping that in their pocket uh, down the line. Didn't want to put it on film, but I, I would say that that's, you know, that's a mistake. you got to win the game that you're in. Um, but the, the plays, the pass plays that were called, certainly didn't get executed um, with the precision that, the, that we would have liked, that the staff would have liked. But they weren't as bad nearly as I thought uh, when I was watching it live. And uh, I think that it's just one of many things that needs to get cleaned up going forward from that game. But there's no, still no reason in my mind to hit the panic button on, on Cade McNamara. I think he's more than capable of running the offense. Um, you know, but he, he does need to, to clean it up. And he does need to, to kind of be a calming presence uh, when when that adversity hits like it did this past Saturday because it came out of nowhere. And he's got to really be able to, to grab the bull by the horns and settle everybody down and execute and make those plays um, to get everybody back on track and get back in rhythm. That's that's his biggest job as, uh, as the quarterback, and that's why he's in the role right now. So um, I'm, not, I'm not overly concerned, again, about his performance, but um, – that can't be the standard. It can be, uh, it can be, uh, you know, a, a bad example or a bad game, a bad quarter. Really, that third quarter is really the, the main concern. And, um, but it can't be like that over and over and over again. That's for sure. So another thing I was thinking of, Clint, fourteen years ago, Greg Schiano very nearly succeeded Lloyd Carr after his retirement at Michigan. And as I was looking down and seeing him on the sideline, and again, it was a tale of two halves. The first half, I was thinking, oh, glad we didn't get this guy. I think, I think, I think it worked out for the best. And the second half, you could kind of see, um, you know, how it might have been, you know, he might have been successful here. Um, what are your thoughts on if Greg Schiano had, had ever been the coach at Michigan, and especially instead of, uh, instead of, what we endured with Rich Rodriguez. Yeah, that's a pretty, uh, pretty interesting hypothetical. I, I would say, I, you know, Shiano does a really, really good job of establishing a, um, a mindset and kind of a toughness, especially, you know, cause he's a defensive minded coach. Um, if I had to guess, you know, then I would say Shiano's tenure, had, it, had he come in in 2008, would have been kind of similar to Brady Hoke's tenure. I think uh, he would have immediately seen a bump in, in toughness and um, a much more stout defense right away, just like we saw in 2011 when, uh, when Brady Hoke was hired. But I just don't think that um, – I don't think that he can adapt to modern football quite quickly enough to really to really push a program from you know a middling uh, program uh, and push it to the next level. Now um, we're yet to see whether Jim Harbaugh can do that, but but Harbaugh has shown that he can be adaptive and, and is willing to 
identify weaknesses in his program and change. And, and I don't know that Chiano um, is quite that adaptive. I don't know it for sure. Um, and he's not going to be held to that same kind of standard at Rutgers. I'm sure that they're very happy with, you know, three and one start and, and having a chance to win on the road in the big house. Um, it, it's another positive sign for their program. So he's, he's doing a good job where he's at. Uh, had he come to Michigan, I, I would have, I would have expected looked, did, looked a little bit like, uh, what Brady Hoke's tenure did probably not, uh, you know, probably wouldn't have failed quite as spectacularly at the end with the media relations disaster, but who knows? So that's probably what it looked like. Would have been fine for a little while, and uh, some old school football fans would have been happy for a little while. But um, we would have hit the ceiling pretty quickly, I think, under Shiano. Yeah, I agree. It was just interesting that to to see him down there, uh, you know, very easily could have seen things reversed, right? With uh, Shiano on the Michigan side. And again, the, uh, the really disappointing tenure of Rich Rodriguez and uh, how that, you know, kind of set Michigan on a path of uh, wandering in the wilderness until Jim Harbaugh returned. And again, that we don't really know the jury's still out on that. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting that Jim Harbaugh has returned to Michigan and, Greg Schiano is back at Rutgers, and like you said, he seems like a, a good fit for their for their program, and um, looks like we're going to be going up against him one way or another for the foreseeable future. And I think he deserves a lot of credit. You know, I, I I gave him some credit in my last kind of statement, but I think they deserve a lot of credit, especially defensively. You know, they they really packed the box, and Michigan did not counter effectively to try to make them pay for that, but those guys on the interior of their defensive line and their linebackers, they were really, really strong. When you, when you rewatch that game, you'll see some really great individual plays made by their D linemen. And, and they definitely made it hard on Michigan's offensive line. And uh, a lot of times there was a stalemate up front and, and that benefited Rutgers, but there were some times that those D linemen just beat Michigan's offensive linemen one-on-one plain and simple hands down. So I, they, he deserves a lot of credit for turning them around quickly. You know, it was only two years ago that we beat that team 52 or 55 to nothing uh, in the big house. So a lot of credit to, to Greg Schiano. And uh, I would expect that they are going to be problematic um, going forward. I, I don't know that they'll ever put it together and climb to the top of the conference by any means, but I, I think you're going to have to make sure that you bring, uh, you know, really bring it for 60 minutes to beat Rutgers um, every year. Uh, from this point forward. So looking at Michigan, I'm, you know, one of the areas that I was questioning when we began the season was how we were going to do at wide receiver. And, you know, that got exasperated by the injury to Ronnie Bell. I'm looking at the receiver court right now and while I wish I had more data, I feel pretty good about it, right? So it's going to be interesting. I'm hoping that as Michigan progresses throughout the season that they can get the um, integrate the pass into the offense enough so that we can see more of, of the core of these guys out on the field. And I hope that, um, you know, again, looks like we have some really dangerous speed 
um, in the receiver core that, that I would like to see utilized more. And um, the other interesting thing that I thought after watching the game is that Michigan showed some interesting formations that I think they could have gone back to, but I wonder how much of that is putting that out there to give other teams more to worry about and more to prepare for. So, again, definitely some interesting things. Um, again, concerns about the second half, and I think you made a great point about um, Cade McNamara possibly being a little a little dinged up after that, after that hit. He was not happy after the game, and, and you, you like to see that in a quarterback. You like to see that, you know, taking responsibility for, you know, the, the struggles of the offense, and, and definitely, you know, you could tell he was he was not pleased. So I think uh, it's going to be an interesting week of practice. Um, you know, and I think we have to recall that, you know, last year he got his opportunity against Rutgers and really um, showed what he could do. And I think that uh, it's going to be interesting to see, as a leader, how he responds um, in the next week. Okay, and of course we don't get to see practice, but um, you know, on on Saturday against Wisconsin, it'll be interesting to see how this offense comes back because um, you know heading into the game, um, you know there were whispers, and and not that it's gone completely away, but hey, Blake Corum may be a Heisman candidate, right? Well, you know, if that's going to happen, Michigan's going to have to continue to be successful, and, you know, he's going to have to get back on track. So um, I think that the, the Rutgers game raised a lot of questions, and there are people nationally and among the Michigan fan base who are looking for Michigan to come back and either succeed or fail against Wisconsin, right? come out strong and and you know the, the narrative is Michigan is back and and growing in strength if uh, if they come out and, and and flop on the road well same old Michigan and a lot of this other questions come back so definitely going to have a lot to watch and and anticipate for the next week yeah I, I think we need to see we need to see outwardly you know some of the the positive leadership that that we're seeing in print and hearing in, in uh, interviews and press conferences. And uh, we, we need to see more plays like what David Ojabo did at the end of that Rutgers game, you know, uh, performances like uh, Junior Colson had um, stepping into a big spot in the fourth quarter, um, stepping in for an injured player, you know, but we need guys to get out there and, and, and do it and, and, and really put their best foot forward lead by example and because um, there's going to be immediate adversity and a lot of pressure on on this team uh, in this upcoming game on Wisconsin and, and if you start to let those bad plays stack up on top of each other then that crowd's going to get on top of you and it, it can snowball quickly you know so the biggest thing is for those playmakers and those leaders are going to have to make positive plays that kind of stem the tide and and don't let don't let one bad play turn into two bad plays. Don't let don't let it turn into a bad series. Don't let a bad series turn into a bad quarter. And I think that's kind of what we saw um, this last Saturday. That's that's what needs to get corrected. All right. 
Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the UMGoBlue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with Clint Derringer. Go Blue. Thank you for listening to the UMGoBlue.com podcast. All rights reserved. Search for UMGoBlue.com on iTunes. Go Blue.